Hey East Meets West listeners. In this episode, we discuss the top countries in Asia for e-commerce. What unlocks e-commerce and how does this play out across countries like China, India, and Singapore? This is a great episode for understanding e-commerce in Asia, but also what makes e-commerce in Asia so different from e-commerce like Amazon in the West. Keep listening and enjoy. Welcome to the East Meets West podcast, a podcast about understanding Asia tech and how Asia tech affects the world. My name is Dan. Joining me, as always, in his uh, hot body singlet, Albert. How are you doing? Good. We should start recording uh, video, then I can like flex on screen or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you've been watching. This is probably a side note that's very boring for listeners. But on Spotify, you've got um, video and podcasts now, and I'll watch. Yep. I listen to a podcast on TV in the morning. Uh, it's like a little, little news segment. It's fun. Yeah, that's. It's definitely a feature that's not for me because immediately when I see a video crop up, I go to my settings, turn it off, so I'm not wasting my bandwidth, and then just continue with the audio. Oh, that's so boring, Dan. I mean, I uh, watch it at home on the Wi-Fi, so I guess it, it's a bit different. Look, if I if I wanted a video, I'd log into YouTube, not Spotify. But uh, that is a fair. tangent. In this week's episode, Albert, we're looking at sort of the top markets in Asia for e-commerce. Really, the the purpose of this this episode, the insight that we expect you listeners to get, is when we talk about Asia, it's it's obvious that e-commerce is doing extremely well in Asia. You've got some of the biggest companies in the world, like Alibaba, JD.com, Lazada, all operating in the region. But there's nuance which is lost there, and which we don't have the chance in other episodes to dive into, which is. Or what makes a particular market successful? Why is China more successful than India for certain reasons? What drives e-commerce in Asia? And by comparison, why has Asia got so much more of this momentum than countries in the West? So Albert, as we sort of tackle this topic, how do you view that question and how do we break it down? Yeah, so you're right. At the top of this, we're like, what's a top market for uh, e-commerce? And obviously, China, I don't think you need a lot of analysis to do that. The way you know we approach this, or I've approached this, is thinking about what are the, the things that unlock e-commerce? Like when you look across Asia as a whole, and even across different regions of Asia, whether it's like mainland Asia or Southeast Asia, you've got a mosaic of differences when it comes to e-commerce penetration. So to contextualize it, South Asia or Southeast Asia as a whole, McKinsey estimates to be about you know twenty percent. They also estimate China to be like around forty-five to fifty percent e-commerce penetration. So obviously a pretty big spread. And then in Southeast Asia, you know countries like Indonesia and Singapore lead penetration about thirty percent. Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam have penetration about fifteen percent. So a key question I look at is like what actually unlocks e-commerce in, in you know these regions. And so when you think about e-commerce, it's like you have a website where you sell, you know, products and and sometimes services as well. Uh, That falls into the definition of e-commerce. The four kind of things I I think about that unlock e-commerce is like infrastructure. So is there the right kind of digital infrastructure um, to enable someone to build a website? And from infrastructure, I don't mean like code because not everyone can do code and we can dive into this. Payments. Um, is there kind of a platform 
or a payments gateway that enables someone to do digital payments. And, you know, there's also online to offline payments, distribution, how do stores get their product out there in market? How do they tell all the people that they're, they're selling these particular products? And then supply chain, how do you actually get those products? So that's kind of how I think about what unlocks e-commerce. Yeah, and it's really, really good framework to think about this question because then you start to understand that when you're comparing different markets, even with these sort of broad four factors, they can kind of play up against each other and you can start seeing where the hard choices for businesses to to target a particular region come in. So as, as an example, if you're looking at Indonesia and Malaysia, if you're just looking purely at market size, Indonesia's e-commerce market is worth about $24 billion today expected to double to be about 50 plus billion in the next four or five years. And to go on to one of your points, Albert, in terms of the infrastructure there, 75% mobile phone penetration. Almost everyone in Indonesia has got a mobile phone. They've got the infrastructure you need to have sort of a successful e-commerce business in one sense. But then if you look at the payment side of things, unusually for Southeast Asia, 85% of Malaysians are banked compared to Indonesia, which are much lower sort of percentage. There was a lot of startups working in that sort of finance space. And then Malaysia also similarly sort of a much lower market size projected out to be about $13 billion by 2025. So depending which numbers you're looking at there, Indonesia stands out as a clear winner if you're looking just at pure market size, looking at mobile phone penetration. But then if you weigh that up against the ability for Indonesians to actually pay for products, then you start thinking, actually, Malaysia might be a better market for us. And then it goes into, well, what product are we selling? Is it something where there's high trust required? You know, if you're buying purchases which are quite expensive, then really payments become quite critical to whether or not a customer is going from putting a product into the basket to the checkout and then through the actual payment gateway. And that, I think, is like the nuance with the difference in markets. There are different features. Malaysia and Indonesia, you'd think, are similar across so many different indicators. But just one of them in terms of like financial literacy and and banking can really change up how you view a market. Yeah, I think there's a lot there. I I wouldn't say that because there's high mobile phone penetration in Indonesia that automatically lends itself to... um, like a strong e-commerce penetration. I think when I talk about infrastructure, I think about like, say like Shopify as an example, and Shopify plays in Asia and Asia is one of its fastest growing um, markets. That is a platform that enables anyone to build an e-commerce store. And so now that you've got this business, Shopify, anyone can go on it, they can build a store, it does everything for them. It does the market, it shows them how to do marketing and things like that. That's now the infrastructure for someone to go and now sell something online and and alibaba also do this as well where they provide like an infrastructure layer so the picks and shovels effectively of e-commerce mobile phone usage and mobile phones is just another channel uh, that people use e-commerce but having these key players like alibaba uh, tokopedia in india uh, in indonesia sorry you've got you know shopee you've got all these really great e-commerce businesses who have focused on you know, the picks and shovels um, to enable people to build stores is the key infrastructure unlock. So when you talk about like the market size is projected to grow and that's obviously a huge market size for Indonesia um, to grow to the size of, you know, more than double in a couple of years, it's because people are investing heavily in both 
the infrastructure as well as the kind of distribution, the payments and the supply chain. So I'm interested in your sort of four um, characteristics there, Albert, of sort of what drives e-commerce. Where would you put the mobile phone? Because definitely that's something that's featuring quite large in my thinking on this topic. Because if I just sort of bring across like a Western comparison, what was really, what pioneered in my mind e-commerce was Amazon. And when you think of e-commerce, you know, Amazon, eBay, those types of, of platforms, it started off with a desktop computer. And the starkest difference, I think, between the West and the East is that the East, for large part, sort of skipped the desktop computer. They shifted straight to mobile. And so many companies in the West and Australia, they're trying to move their customer from desktop to mobile because it just seems to be so much more powerful than experience. You know, as an example, in China, 75% of online purchases are by mobile. In America, 46%. So there's just a really big difference there in adoption. And so I'm wondering, like, where do you see that factor in, if at all, in your sort of four, uh, four principles, four factors? Yeah, I am again. Mobile to me is like the the un the the access point, right? In the same way that someone accesses the internet on a you know computer versus on a mobile versus on a tablet versus you know now you can do it through your TV and things like that. And so it just so happens that the cheapest and most widely available unlock is a mobile phone, but people are building you know these infrastructure plays like the picks and shovels because of mobile or for mobile. So a really good example is like ByteDance. Like ByteDance, um, it's TikTok. It's not really a platform that is geared towards e-commerce traditionally, but it has now become a platform for people to enable e-commerce because people will go on to that and show their goods and now they've created, because people are showing goods and things like that that they can sell, they've started to build out an e-commerce platform within ByteDance. And so it just happens that this is actually just the access point, but the infrastructure layer isn't the mobile itself. It's the platforms that build for that access point like mobile. I really want to move on to talk about distribution now because I think that is really interesting. And again, a point of difference between sort of Western companies and and companies in, in Asia. How do you think about distribution as something that drives e-commerce? What do you mean by that? Yeah, that's a good good pivot from like the TikTok conversation, man. Distribution in Asia, I can I'm just gonna see Asia homogeneously now. It's so weird, right? Like when you think about like how you distribute a product when you've got like you know literally billions of people, and I just think about traditional product distribution is like you do marketing, you send flyers, you do internet marketing. Like in Asia, it's like WhatsApp, WeChat, ByteDance. You've got these like consumer to consumer marketplaces where people like sell the stuff that they have on their farms or in their houses you know to each other through these platforms as well and so it's not really traditional distribution like you know you've spent time in indonesia dan like what's your your take on this no no exactly right exactly right and even you know i think one evolution which you do see in the west is this idea of social media distribution where you're getting influencers and others to essentially sort of sell products uh, and participate in branded material. We talked about Adore Beauty, how they're, I think, stepping into that realm, really sort of trying to adopt a social media style way of distributing their cosmetic beauty products by having reviews, 
and such in video format in a very like personable way. But that's still a really far step from, you know, we all know some of the, the easiest ways we get referrals is our friend sends us a link to buy something. But there's this layer of friction where what our friend is sending us through a message, which then sends us to a website or whatever it might be. In China, they send that through WeChat. You can pay for it through WeChat. You know, nine out of 10 consumers using Alipay and WeChat in China for online purchases. Their sort of maturity when it comes to digital wallets and how that combines with distribution, as you're saying, Albert, you know, the word of mouth is just incredible. And it really facilitates huge, huge e-commerce companies, which we haven't seen in the West, like Flipkart, um, like Pinduoduo in China, where really it's just about these crazy promotional sales and group buys, which is a culture we haven't seen yet in the West. And I think it's because we don't have the same distribution mindset as in Asia. Yeah, this is a really, really good point that uh, maybe we can spend a, a minute or so talking about. I wonder if it's like a challenge of scale because in Asia you have so many people where you can actually run a business through WhatsApp on your phone. But if you imagine trying to distribute and track and sell products at scale, like imagine if you were like Amazon and you were selling individually to each customer on WhatsApp and then you were trying to keep track of inventory and SKUs and things like that. And then trying to pay people to do it is obviously really hard. Like how much of this challenge is like something that's unique to Asia given the landscape versus what's transferable to the West? I I wonder about that question a lot because sometimes I think we can get caught up in like the country size. You look at India, you look at China, Mm, obviously massive. mm, mm. But in my thinking, like isn't it really more of a city by city density question? And in in some cases, when you look at the West, like there are huge cities out there, New York, for example, even Sydney to a certain extent, which have got huge populations, pretty good population density. I don't see why those same tactics can't work, which is why I I purposely said we haven't seen these kind of companies in the West yet, because I think that's an evolution that we'll naturally see come through. Yeah, no, I I like that a lot. I think, you know, we've got a few minutes left to round out. Something I, I, I really want to talk about is like, um, kind of the, the future of what e-commerce looks like from a product category perspective. So right now, e-commerce in Asia is really just a marketplace for uh, like low value transactional products like, you know, groceries, clothing, you know, shoes, things like that. If you look at what people are, are transacting uh, in Australia or in the US, you can buy, you know, people buy TV, some people even buy houses now like through through online platforms, like you've got things like Zillow and Open Door. And, and so when I look at the future of, of product categories, Dan, good to get your take. It's like, how do you see the shift in Asia as they move from like low value goods like clothing to like more premium and more expensive products like TVs to then like, you know, big purchases like engagement rings and things like that? This is absolutely a trend. So there's about 50 million new consumers by 2022 just in Southeast Asia that are are middle class. And the population overall from 2020, about 2 billion middle class population up to 3.5 billion in 2030. So you're you're seeing this huge increase in a middle class that's got more spending money. To me, the, the, the category I'm looking at, Albert, is luxury. And I encourage our listeners to go back and listen to our Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy episode because I think we're both pretty bullish on the prospects of luxury goods 
high inflation environments, whatever, like these goods, because of their branding, really stand the test of time. And even just Asian consumers have a greater propensity to buy luxury goods than their Western counterparts. So I think there's a perfect storm there for, you know, what's the, what's the name of the luxury sort of e-commerce site that we, that we did, Albert? Oh, Satire? Satire. I think there's like a space for uh, just a hyper Asian version of that to take off. Yeah, I think there's like an interesting thing here in Asia where like uh, around authenticity of goods and whether people actually care. And I think the answer to that is like most people don't. It's just about the branding, but that's probably a a different conversation to have. I think to wrap it up, like my kind of closing thoughts is like because you've got such a mosaic of maturity when it comes to things like distribution, payments, infrastructure in Asia, I think looking at countries like the Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, who are emerging countries. And then, you know, obviously like Indonesia, Singapore as countries who are like solidifying is, is a really good way to understand like what are going to be the trends because these companies and, and these countries are trying to service, you know, huge amounts of people quickly across different value products, different volumes of products. And as they solve that, I think a lot of companies like Amazon are going to look to how they've done that in order to backward solve it for them as well. Yeah, 100%. Uh, my example would be, particularly when we're looking at product categories, is you know, if you're looking at a, a business, an e-commerce business, such as doing something like grocery delivery, and there was a boom of them sort of recently, then just go back to those four factors that you sort of mentioned at the top, Albert. Because particularly asymmetrically across the region, there's a difference in maturity. For example, logistics, Japan and Singapore are absolutely the two top performing countries in Asia on that scale. And then, you know, China, Indonesia, Philippines, all sort of to lesser degrees. And if you're looking to deliver groceries in 12 hours or less, you know, sometimes same day delivery like Kupang in South Korea, that's a challenge which can only happen in certain markets which have that level of maturity. So I think we, we've really tied off quite well, like a framework to unpack e-commerce companies and how they would succeed in different markets. I mean, I mean, you just open another can of worms now, like when you talk about grocery <laughs> deliveries. I think that's like something specifically that you can get away with in, in Western countries, which is like, I don't want to call it a point solution, but like a, a solution that's geared very specific for one use case, which is like grocery deliveries in 15 minutes. I don't want to use that example. But when you think about like these successful e-commerce businesses, because they have to deal with these four challenges, distribution, infrastructure, payments, supply chain, they have to solve it all, right? Like Alibaba has solved that because they do all those things. They not only provide the infrastructure, they also do the payments, they also do logistics. But in, in the West... Like they don't do full stack e-commerce like that. Maybe Shopify, but everyone else is kind of like a, a, a for lack of a better word, like a point solution. I think that's like a, a very interesting thing to see in the West, whether people consolidate to be more like Eastern Asian e-commerce or whether it goes the other way. Time will tell, but I think we can safely say e-commerce in Asia is is happening. It's a happening space, Albert. And <laughs> <laughs> I think undeniably happening. Uh, Well, let's finish up there. Thank you for listening to the East Meets West podcast. We'll catch you again next week. Thanks for listening. See ya.